This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com. Enter offer code INCOMPARABLE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. The Incomparable. Number 246. May 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we're going to be talking about not one particular work, but the phenomenon of being assigned reading for class. Things we liked, things we really didn't like. Books that traumatized us, perhaps. <laughs> the, the, the entire story of, of, of having reading assigned to you and reading it because you must instead of because you want to. Uh, joining me on this adventure, uh, I hope they did the reading. <laughs> There's no reading. <laughs> our, we had to. Our three fine At some guests. Point. Uh, David Lore is here. Hello. Hello. Uh, Erica Ensign is also out there. Hello. Yeah, but I did the reading. Yeah, I'm good. Good. I'm glad. And uh, from a far off land, uh, actually closer than usual, it's Andy Anatko. Hi, Andy. Uh, Erica, did, did you have your pass me your monarch notes? I didn't read it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Give me your lunch money, dude, and we'll talk. So assigned reading. The, the premise here is uh, obviously you get you get assigned reading in class and there's the books that you love. But, you know, there are also the books that you hate that drove you up a wall. And, um, you know, not that we want to go entirely negative here, but, uh, you know, it's fun to talk about to, to talk about that stuff and classics and, and that they make you read and that you that you didn't like um, or that you did like. So we're going to start off. Uh, David Lore, do you have something you want to talk about? A book that, that either... <laughs> displease you or please you this is not a draft so much as a, a parade uh i don't even know i just made that <laughs> I up i like that oh no parade, that's good. parade that's of good. books <laughs> david you start off the parade you're the grand marshal today <laughs> i i was gonna say do do we do we sort of do like the saturday night live episode and, and just invoke everyone gets catcher in the rye no <laughs> oh man not everybody gets catcher in the rye okay it depends which category you put yeah, it in indeed that, would, uh, that, would, that should lead to some interesting discussion uh, uh but you go ahead uh, David. Well, I, since since I'm leading off, and and if this were a draft, uh, I wonder how many people I would trip up by picking a separate piece by John Knowles, which is, uh, I guess, I guess a good alternate title for it would be "Whiny White Privilege." <laughs> it is, what? you know. Oh God, I still have flashbacks. So I've never read this. Book. Tell me what this book me is. Either. Uh, basically, it's it's two boys at a prep school who develop an intense friendship, and and tragedy strikes. Oh. And they, you know, it's just. It's, Somebody get the consumption? Uh, no, un- <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately. Alas. But you know, oh man, I just I I wanted everyone in this book to die, and by like <laughs> chapter two, just just go away, leave me alone. I mean. I was not a fan of Catcher in the Rye, but at least I could get through it. But but this was the same year. This this was 11th grade. 11th grade Honors English was brilliant because it was a separate piece, Catcher in the Rye, Macbeth. Uh, I mean, it was just sort of this parade of tragedy and depression and oh, ugh. but a separate piece was the worst of the lot. It, it's it's like Dead Poet Society, except not as fun. Yowza. <laughs> And I hate Dead Poet Society. I've heard of it, but I but I've never I've never uh, read it. So I I, I guess mm-hmm. I guess we 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 uh, escaped from that. Sweet, sweet. I, well, I, 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 I took one it. for the team. <laughs> don't 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 do it. Don't do it. 
separate piece. They made a movie of that too, apparently. Yes, so we saw the movie. Yeah, I've, I have also heard of it, but but never never read it. That was not one of the ones we had to read. This is, I think, the the most telling thing about it. If you do a Google search for a separate piece, do you know what comes up first? Oh, not God. the Wikipedia page, not the Amazon page. What comes up first is the Spark Notes <laughs> summary page. <laughs> wow. So you are, and then Cliff's Notes is the fifth selection. Yeah. Because you don't want to have to actually read this if if you can help it. I think we should rank all of the uh, the books that we talk about tonight based on what you know how many <laughs> the, you have to go search, down to get to the yeah. Cliff's Notes rank. I, I will. Yeah. I'm going to be manning the browser throughout <laughs> this parade. Excellent, um, uh, Andy and Ica. Why don't you Why don't you throw in a, 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 some assigned reading that you didn't like? How about that? Oh, that this was an easy one, Ethan Frome. I absolutely freaking hated this book. And maybe, admittedly, it was partly because of the way that this book was being taught. Every single thing that could possibly have been symbolism, this teacher wanted us to understand <laughs> that, let's talk about the pickle dish today. Now, it's not just a, it's not just a pickle dish. You have to understand that what the author meant is for us to transmogrify our feelings about this relationship to the pickle dish. And I'm like, I'm not. I wasn't having it. I, I rem- it was a landmark book for me in, in class because it was the one where it's like I we did we did Shakespeare a couple years ago, and I was with you all through that. We did a whole bunch of series and other books. I was with you, and I was willing to. I, I could sense what you wanted me to say on this test or in this essay or in this classwork, and I gave it to you. I draw the line at Ethan Frome because I, I read it and it was just <laughs> this drippy, overwrought, overwritten doesn't ever get to the point story where instead of like instead of putting something in the book that's materially interesting or put advances the plot this author wanted to put four pages on let's talk about the color now of the candy dish let's have a scene in which their hands touch but almost touch and um, I, I believe that this was also the first one where I handed in the essay in which I said this is I didn't say the word crap but I basically said this is just a badly written book that should be forgotten I don't know who Edith Wharton is. I don't know if she had a career before that or after that, but I want no part of her. I said, good day, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, um, full credit to Edith Wharton. The Ethan from Wikipedia page is number one on Google. Spark notes, (laughs) number two. (laughs) So not quite as bad, but again, a sign of assigned reading. You know, Andy, it's funny. I, I haven't read Ethan from, but I've read some early American literature it's not – I mean, this is 1911. Yeah. This is a little more recent. But this, uh, I took an American lit class. I took an English lit class. Um, I, I was a, a lit minor in college and um, read a lot of uh, early and, and, and modern English lit. But American lit, which obviously doesn't go as far back. Um, boy, that was a rough class. <laughs> I realized mm. it took a long yeah. time for American <laughs> literature to kind of figure out what it wanted to be. And, uh, you know, Ethan Frome. For instance, good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, seriously. Yeah, I, I never read Ethan Frome, but I did see the movie of The Age of Innocence, and I hated that. So I also give a thumbs down same. Just, you know, in solidarity. All right. Solid. I like. I I enjoy where this is going. This is like this is like our revenge on our English teacher is happening here. So this is great, Erica. What do you it's have for me? Yeah, this is beautiful. This is working out. 
I'm going to dip back uh, a little farther. I mean, speaking in my own life, I'm going back to fifth grade. Wow. Um, because that was, yeah, that was when they started assigning actual full books. Now, they weren't super long novels, like I assume Ethan Frome was, but we had to wear a little book called, or we had to read a little book called Where the Red Fern Grows. I don't oh, know if you guys yeah. were subjected oh, yeah. to this, but I, I uh, yeah, it's it's a story that takes place, uh, it was written in the 60s, takes place in the Ozarks, about a little boy who's training his his two dogs to to go coon hunting yeah (laughs) and i just there's this one scene in the book that i will always remember where his dad's he needs to catch a raccoon so that he can use the pelt to train the dogs to go hunting and the way that they do that is they make a hole in a log and they put something shiny at the bottom of it and then pound a bunch of of nails in so that there are basically spikes sticking out in this hole so the raccoon comes up poor little guy reaches down into the hole to get the shiny thing grabs onto it and then when he makes a fist he can't pull his poor little paw back out because of all these nails and apparently raccoons don't like to let go once they've grabbed something shiny i guess i can understand that um so yeah and then they club it to death and he gets to use it and i just yeah and then of course the dogs die at the end of the book and it was just i hated it from beginning to end there was nothing good about that book nothing i I haven't read this either i'm feeling very very good about my my uh my literary background and not having read these where the where the red fern grows interestingly enough the spark notes fifth in the google search for when the where the red fern grows maybe because it's not being used as much anymore because people have come to recognize that it's maybe not the nicest thing for fifth graders (laughs) to be reading just a guess yeah Okay, that's good. That's good. I, I'm going to go, so I'm going to go to college for this one, because this is my number one, and I've got another one in reserve for later, but my number one disliked book um, that was assigned to me in uh, my last quarter of my five-quarter-long humanities core course that everybody in my college had to take. And I did really well in those classes. I loved them. And then we got to the last quarter, and I didn't like the professor, and I didn't like the assigned reading, most specifically <laughs> Gustave Flaubert's debut novel. You know it, you love it, you can't oh. live without her, Madame Bovary. God, yes. <laughs> I escaped that one, too. I hear groans from people who yeah. read Madame Bovary. We read it in French class. <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm so cuz it's bad it, it, it's bad in any language, folks. It is um uh, yeah, so Madame Bovary has affairs <laughs> because of ennui. Oh, the ennui. Oh, the ennui. Uh, the the, the and it is endless. And again, I don't know. And I, it's a short book. It it it, it but is it's like forever. <laughs> <laughs> this entire podcast is just going to be us saying, I hated that book. Let's list another book. List another one. Let's do it again. Yeah, that Screw, one that too. <laughs> Screw you, Catharsis, Mrs. Tomlinson, man. for making me read that. Yeah. Three Madame, hours. Three so, hours, so man. So, Ma- Adam Bovary, and again, I uh, the cultural context the, the and the period in France when it's written, and perhaps one must only truly be French and read it in French to understand. But to me, it just was this... It's. It was just. It was just so so bad. Everybody is awful. <laughs> the 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 um the the events that occur throughout are kind of uh, staged, and then uh, and then she ends up having affairs. This is what I'm saying. Is like it's like oh yes, we. I'm shocked that this is happening again. I hate. I hate Madame Bovary. Like the character and the book. <laughs> so that, that I, wow. could never, I could never. I could never. 
I can picture that English professor talking about Madame Bovary tells us that. <laughs> but man, she had one hell of a pickle dish. Well, she um, was a very popular lady, Madame Bovary. <laughs> and and um, yeah, I think Flaubert just not is not my kind of my kind of writer. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I, yeah, just a random French lady going around having affairs. Uh, in the chat room, we have a French person to confirm for us. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Okay, that's one round down. Um, this is the best podcast ever, by the way. Just because we're all letting it out. Podcasting <laughs> is therapy. We're all letting it, it out. Good. About this. It feels good. Uh, Since this is an episode about things that I like and hate, I want to tell you about something I hate. And something I like. Something from my past that I hate, in addition to Madame Bovary, well, my old mattress. I didn't like it. It was bouncy. It was like a trampoline. It was uncomfortable. I wasn't sleeping well. You know something I love? Our sponsor, Casper Mattresses. I sleep on a Casper mattress now, and I love it. They say it's got just the right bounce, just the right spring. It feels great. It's a combination of latex foam and memory foam. So the sink is good. The bounce is good. It's not like sleeping on a trampoline, but it's also not if you've had a memory foam mattress in the past and it felt weird to you. The combination of the two foams really makes a big difference. You spend a third of your life sleeping. You should do it in style. Casper Mattress is working for me. It could work for you. And if you're wondering, well, okay, I'm interested, but I'm really afraid to get a uh, mattress shipped to my door in a box. That seems a little bit weird. Yeah, okay. It's not usual, but it's kind of brilliant. The box is really small, and then you open it up, and it expands to fill, your, to fill the space after you open the box because it's kind of shrink-wrapped. But there's no risk here. They've got a free trial and return policy. They will deliver the mattress straight to you. You get that box. You open it up. You sleep on it for up to 100 days. And if you're not happy... They'll pick it back up. They'll take it away. So you really need to try Casper mattresses. I I really enjoy sleeping on on ours. We got rid of our old king size bed. Actually, replaced it with a queen because the kids are older now and they're not crawling into bed because of a nightmare as often. And and uh, it's been really great to switch back to a queen size and a super comfy mattress with Casper. Prices are great: five hundred for a twin, nine fifty for a king. And of course, there are different sizes in between those things compared to industry averages. It's a great price point, and you can. See Save $50, so it'll be an even better price by going to casper.com slash incomparable, the name of this podcast, casper.com slash incomparable. Tell them we sent you, and you'll save $50. Thank you so much to Casper. Every day, I wake up on a Casper mattress, and I'm very happy about it. You should check them out. Uh, should, should we go positive, or should we just bring out more dead here? Let's bring out I more can, dead. David, I, can, David. I, can, I can do both in one. Okay. Oh, my. Odd. I can't. Because... <laughs> At the time. Now, now, my mother, as part of, part of her, you know, many hats in her life, she taught English in high school and middle school for like two years. And, and she, she uh, once said that seventh and eighth graders are horrible. And now that I'm the parent of a seventh grader, she was right. Um, and, you know, but, but she was very patient. She taught English. So, so I would bring home these books and I would slag on them and, and she'd be like, yeah, that one sucks. Don't, you know, here, I'll, I'll help you get through that one because you shouldn't have to read that. And, and various things like that. And now going back to French class, um, before we read Madame Bovary, uh, we read The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And now we read it in French. And I don't know. I just maybe I wasn't ready for it at that point. I hated it. 
And I, I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to get through it. And I came home and she said, what are you doing in class? I said, we're doing The Little Prince. I cannot stand it. And she just looked at me and she said, no, you are reading The Little Prince. It's like, but, but I don't, and what, uh. and, and, you know, I slogged <laughs> through it and survived. Flash forward all these years later, my oldest son is, I don't know, three or four. He picks it up. And he goes, what is this? And he wanted me to read it to him. And as I'm reading it to him, and I'm kind of gritting my teeth at the beginning, because it's like, oh, a little prince. All right, fine. Draw me a sheep. Draw me a sheep. Draw me a hat. You know, all the different things in the book. And as I as I was reading it, I'm I'm falling in love with it. And so so it's one of the few books in, in my school career where I wound up falling in love with it decades later. And now I love it. I, I tell people to read it. Maybe I need to have kids or something because I really didn't like that book. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if a reread's going to do it. It 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 helps having having been through a little bit of life. I don't think it's really a book that that is aimed at at kids. I think it's a book where you need to have lived a little bit and you need to have a little weathering mm-hmm. on you. And and mm-hmm. even even to, to have led a creative life because it is about writing and drawing and and building and um, it hit me in a completely different way after twenty years. So eh. yeah, I can I can see that because I it, my memories of it are are somewhat faint, but but I completely agree that it's the kind of thing that I I think I would get more out of now if I were to to read it as opposed to then. Yeah. Who who decides these books and decides that these are good for children <laughs> as opposed to adults? I feel like the decision-making process is maybe a little iffy. <laughs> but Jason, did you tell us where Madame Bovary and then this uh, little, little oh, yeah. showed up where in your was, Google uh, search? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Sorry. I, I've been asleep. I'm on tenterhooks. Okay. Ma- <laughs> so Madame Bovary, you'll be happy to know, uh, finished second. Uh, it's it's Wikipedia first, Sparknotes second, so it's right nice. it's right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I I'm not uh, Sparknotes has done a really good job, by the way. I should say of search engine optimization. They tend to <laughs> they 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 pop up above Cliff Notes and above uh, Schmoop, which is apparently a na- another summary site. Schmoop. Okay. Uh, this episode is not brought to you by Schmoop, but there it, it is, or by so Sparknotes, old. but th- it, it is available. So the Little Prince. And I haven't searched that one, so let's do that right now. The Little Prince, well, the official Little Prince website comes up first. Of course. Oh. <laughs> uh, then Wikipedia, then Amazon, and then SparkNotes. So it's a, a four. It gets a four score, a little bit lower. I think they're doing a new movie version of it or something, too. Probably. So. The movie musical version of it is lovely. I remember watching some some weird version of it when I was a child, and I hated that almost as much as the book. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the act of assigning something ruins things for. Oh, it does. Right. It does. Just that you you read it and was assigned. You were assigned it and you hated it, and then you came back yeah. to it later, and then then you liked it. I'm watching it with my own son, who loved reading until he started getting assigned actual books, and now it's pulling teeth because they forced him to read stuff. He, yeah, I, I said uh, we're doing a podcast, and he said, "What? What? Do you, what what's the topic?" What, you know, I said, "Well, it's it's books that we were assigned and books that we hated from school," and he goes. Gary Paulson's Hatchet. I hated Hatchet. <laughs> Tell oh, them there's Hatchet. one you could add to my list. <laughs> so, so yeah, give it's him like, a fist oh, bump for me, because yeah, I, agree. I will, I will. Because um, yeah, I mean, five, it's number just five these, on Spark Notes. Hatchet. These <laughs> awful, awful books that they have to read, and you know, I mean, I, 
I did that in seventh grade myself with, I can't even remember the name of the book, but it's, it's set during the French and Indian War in Fort Ticonderoga, and I could not stand it. And then we read Caddy Woodlawn, which is, you know, kind of a poor man's Little House on the Prairie, which, oh, wow. I mean, I hated Little House on the Prairie, but Aww. at least give me the real one, you know. <laughs> Andy, what do you have? What do you have next? Um, Let I your think- hate flow through you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that you touched on something uh, earlier that sometimes it's it's a perfectly good book, but it's the way that it's being taught to you that it, or uh-huh. uh, the, the or the context is basically imagine that there's something that's a, a really delicious plate of vegetables, but it's being presented to you as you're 13 years old. Like here is a plate of really healthy vegetables; they're really good for you, and that just makes you want to say, "Well, I'm not going to even try this. This, this you're lying to me. This is terrible." Uh, and for me, one of those books was Kafka's Metamorphosis. That no. I've I've read I've I've read much later after realizing that well look this doesn't sound like a bad book I should maybe I'm just maybe I was just like sort of a you know gritty like teen like sort of rebelling and I think the reason why I didn't I, I remember just singularly not enjoying the process of having to read this book and discuss it in class and looking back on it I think the reason why was because this is a real corker of a horror story. Just yeah. a brilliantly written, taught. You really get to see. It doesn't. It doesn't focus on the physicality of what's happening with it, but instead about the emotions of what's happening and the metamorphosis, not only of physical body but of attitude when a, uh, someone's body changes that way. And what's the relationship? What, what was the actual relationship between this the center person in the story and all the family uh, around them? And it's just a great again a cracking horror story and i think the reason why i rebelled was because we weren't allowed to simply read it and be scared and enjoy it uh and just because the the, i think the worst thing worse of a creep out than being transformed into a giant cockroach is realizing that oh well now everybody's going to abandon you and now treat you as something less than human and that doesn't matter how much what what relationship you have with them beforehand or how much you did for them they will absolutely turn on you as soon as it's inconvenient as soon as you're inconvenient to them and instead we really we had to learn about Kafka's world and what sort of uh, statement he was trying to make about the society that he lived in and what uh, let's all find out uh, uh, what the the uh, Gregor Samsa's job was this so what what kind of job would that have been in in, uh, in Kafka's time and like can't we just like be creeped out by a really good creepy story uh and it, it was not this i have to realize realize in retrospect that it wasn't the story i didn't like it was the experience of being taught that story because i've read it since and i've enjoyed it a lot and i'm wishing that i was a little i have i don't remember exactly how snotty i was about this book but i i have memories in high school of basically uh, kind of like with ethan Frome, this the second book in high school where i was just not having it yeah. I do. Th- I think, you know, when you're reading a book that's assigned, uh, you're, you're I, okay. So I, we're we're on the incomparable podcast here. A lot of what we consume as media is assigned in the sense that you're <laughs> it's assigned for the podcast, right? And it is different yeah. when you're just yeah. sitting back and enjoying something versus saying like, "What am I going to get out of this?" Even if it's something that you love and you've seen a million times, you're like, "I'm going to take notes. I'm going to pay attention to this." And when you're reading a, a book, like I mean, you talk about the metamorphosis, Andy. 
if, if you're if you're saying, all right, I got to glean from this, I got to get some stuff out of this. I got my highlighter pen, <laughs> right? <laughs> Versus like I'm just going to read the story and enjoy it, and, and and maybe enjoy it more, but be able to say less about it, and and that that can change how you interact with a work. No, knowing knowing that in a day or two you're going to be forced to defend your reading of this book, and you're not you're not going to be able to simply say I liked it or I didn't like it. You're going to have to say in five paragraphs in order, in great amount of structure, I feel as though the path that this character took was very, very meandering. And here are the three reasons why I felt it was that way. When when we read for pleasure or watch TV or movies for pleasure, it is sufficient for us to say, I just really didn't like it. Or, boy, did I love this. And when you're talking to friends, maybe you can have a really uh, entertaining conversation about what each of you liked or didn't like. But at no point is there somebody in, in like, you know, uh, a, a white and black striped shirt, like, blowing a whistle and giving you points on how well you've been discussing this book. Yeah. Where did that show up on the uh, Googles? Oh, uh, the metamorphosis? Mm-hmm. Google result, the metamorphosis. Number two is the spark notes. Schmoop at three. Good job, Schmoop. Hey, Schmoop. <laughs> and Project Gutenberg, because that is a uh, a public domain, public domain, is fourth. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something I was able to read at the time just for kicks. Yeah. So I also just remembered that uh, at the time I was reading a lot of Ray Bradbury and a lot of Matheson. And so maybe that was also affecting me. Look, I'm, I could see this as being in that same category as both of those writers. So I'm like, why are we just not enjoying this? This is supposed to be enjoyable. So I had Metamorphosis assigned to me, I want to say my sophomore year of college. Might have been the freshman year, but I, I, I remember reading that in college and I liked it. And I remember, I remember, and it has that opposite effect, which we'll get to when we talk about some things we like of, uh, of, uh, oh, I actually like the assigned reading. It's like that. This, <laughs> this is pretty nice. And of course, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this is also one of the funniest jokes I find in Mel Brooks's movie, The Producers, yes. the original, <laughs> where one of the scripts Gregor that they're reading. Sam- <laughs> Gregor Samson awoke to find he's been transformed into a giant cockroach. No, nah, too good. Too good. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> so I've admitted on this episode that I don't like Madame Bovary. Let me tell you about something else I don't like. Spam. I hate it. I hate email spam. But you know what? It's not a problem anymore. Just as I've left Madame Bovary behind me, and it's just a, an unpleasant mess, me- memory from the past. Spam, also an unpleasant memory from the past that I don't need to relive, and that's because of our sponsor, MailRoute. MailRoute is a service that sits between my mail server and the big bad internet, and it intercepts spam, viruses, and bounced email before they get to me. Uh, There's nothing for me to set up, no hardware, no software. All I have to do is point my domain's MX record, which is the code that says, where does all the email to this domain go? And it points it at MailRoute. MailRoute takes one for the team. MailRoute takes in all the bad mail that's coming over the internet. It uses its really intelligent software to filter it, identify what's good and what's bad. The bad stuff gets put in a holding bin. So if something good does go in there, I can find out about it and whitelist it and have it uh, sent to me with one click. Uh, Everything else just passes through. As a result, my inbox is much cleaner. I haven't had to worry about it. I don't have to run software updates on my spam filters or anything. That all just happens at MailRoute. It's easy to set up. It's reliable. Big corporations and universities trust it. Um, If you're an email administrator or IT professional, they've got all the tools that you need. There's an API for easy account management, all the buzzwords, LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, outbound relay, everything you want from people handling your mail is included. And 
I love this. You can start a risk-free trial with no credit card. Just sign up, point your Amex records at MailRoute. Your mailbox and hardware are completely protected. Simple, effective, no reason not to try it. And all listeners to The Incomparable receive 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Just go to MailRoute.net slash Incomparable now. And thank you so much to MailRoute for their support of The Incomparable. Erica, do you have a... a we've been sort of like a hate hate uh, transformed in this round but you don't have to follow that if you don't I, want yeah to, i don't yeah. know that i have anything that i hated that that got transformed no. i'm afraid that I, if i hated it i i didn't bother to spend time going back it's, it's um, just old will, bile. yeah it works but i will point out one other reason that the assigned reading can be kind of a, a killer just right off the bat and that's for for kids like me who i was just i was a huge reader from the time that you know before kindergarten when i was figuring out how to do it so when I got to the point where suddenly we were being assigned books, that was taking away reading time from the stuff I wanted to read. Yeah. So, my, I mean, my, you know, once exactly. high school wrote... And it, was, and it was probably simpler stuff than you were reading. Yeah, my son my son mm-hmm. goes through that. My son is a voracious reader and yet, and then he complains about assigned reading and it's like, dude, you are being assigned reading. <laughs> it's your favorite thing. And these books that you're being assigned are books that are the kind you should like. And yet, he's like, oh man, it's taking time away from my books that i want to read over here i totally exactly i had my stack of science fiction and fantasy books that you know Mm -hmm. at at that time i was reading the lord of the rings every single year and (laughs) you know i I wanted to be able to keep doing that and it was getting more difficult (laughs) because i ended up having to read crap like great expectations which (laughs) i still i still just want to shake my fist at that book and the movie which we had to watch in school (laughs) and yeah, I just I wanted Miss Havisham to just burn to death on you know page one and. But that was but that was great. It's like it's it's the same thing as like when they did Romeo and Juliet and they decided that they just they'll just show us the movie because it's like this is almost like oh, being in yeah. school but not this is wonderful. But you got to see boobs. That's right, ninth True. grade. That yeah, ninth, we exactly. loved it. Ninth grade honors honors ninth grade. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Yes, yes. Only the honors kids could see boobs. Honors the boobs, plebeian yeah. English This is Shakespeare. Class. They were bosoms, not breasts. <laughs> I, I think the teacher actually did call them boobs, but <laughs> but it was honors. So, you know. Yeah, it was honors. It's all, it's all for science. Great, is Great Expectations your choice, by the way, Erica? Is it is, yes. There? That's <laughs> that, number is, two. that is the one. Number two in Google is the Spark Notes for Great Expectations. <laughs> um, so we, we yeah, that that's up there. Uh Although a separate a separate piece is our champion right now, I the think so. First <laughs> item, and that's pretty impressive. I I kind of like great expectations. When did you When did you read it? What grade was that for you? I'm gonna say my senior year of high school. Yeah, see, that was later. I might have liked it better later. This was ninth grade, freshman oh, year. Oh yeah. Uh, also, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a fast reader, which is good with Dickens because he's got a lot of words. Oh, so many words. He got paid so, by them, so yeah. Well, and so yeah. and what I'd say about Dickens is I I don't love. I think it I think it goes down easy. I I think his style is is kind of entertaining and breezy, but it is so circuitous. And at, at several points in reading Great Expectations, I was like, "Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> you know, like what what are you trying to say? like? I, even even as a high schooler, I I, I kind of couldn't buy all of the coincidences and things that would happen in these in these books. But it was for me, it was easy to read. So I I you know I. It was not a battle like some assigned reading to read it stylistically, mm-hmm. even though I didn't, you know, I didn't love it. I thought it was, you know, it was fine. I think for me, the problem with it and many of these other books that I hated so much was 
I when I'm consuming any kind of media, whether it be a book or a movie or a TV show, I like to have somebody to root for. And I just didn't like anybody in a lot of these books, whether it was because their life was so vastly different from mine and the character wasn't written well enough to to be able to convey any of the emotion that would connect me to that that person, or if it was just because they were, you know, kind of useless and making lots of poor choices like Pip and Great Expectations. So I, I think I was smarter than some of the characters I was reading, and that hurt. <laughs> I, also, an important update from the chat room, AF Waller tells the story that um, they not only did they see the scene with Romeo and Juliet with boobs, um, they saw it twice by lying to the teacher about where they had left off for the previous <laughs> class. Yes! So they got to see Excellent it a work. AF Waller, thumbs up. <sighs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick something, and this, this is going to be love, a love-hate story of a different sort. Uh, one of my assigned readings in, I'm going to say my junior year in high school, was The Red Badge of Courage by Stephen oh. Crane. Which oh, is, yes. Which is a um, a uh, Civil War tale. Um, and I, I believe the lines, I don't think this is actually in the book. I think we summarized the style of the book by, by saying the youth ran hither and thither. <laughs> because there was a lot of running hither and thither, and it was all featuring the youth. Um, I did not like the Red Badge of Courage. Uh, I thought it was weirdly written. It's short. It's got that going for it. Um, <laughs> but but as a as a Civil War tale, I didn't connect to it. I thought his style was really annoying. My love story here is that um, I really kind of love Stephen Crane's poetry. And I'm not a big poetry person, but I found a book of Stephen Crane's poetry, and it's great. It's dark and weird and mostly doesn't <laughs> rhyme. All of these things work for me when it comes to poetry. I really like it a lot. But Red Badge of Courage, ugh, it's just I, – I, and I feel like it was assigned because it's like, well, it's civil – it's American literature. It's Civil War. All right, we'll, we'll just assign Red Badge of Courage. It fits. It checks off the boxes. And it's like, yeah. but it's really not very good. <laughs> It's, I, I mean, I appreciate that it's a historical, you know, it's from somebody in the period writing about it, but no, no, it's not good. But, and yet I love Stephen Crane's poetry. So that's my, that's my love hate. There were other, there were other kids in my high school who had to read that because like I said, it depended on the teacher, but I, I was not in a class that had to read that. So I feel like I dodged a civil war bullet. And the Hibs <laughs> in the chat room, by the way, is, is celebrating now because uh, I have I have nailed his his uh, least favorite book of all time with the Red Badge of Courage. So I did that one for you. Uh, I hate I, the youth ran hither, hither and thither, hither and thither. There's so much thithering and hithering in that book. It is just <laughs> and dithering and dithering. Yeah, no, we are our, our high school. The the English and the history worked hand in hand because it was an open space uh, design of a school. So we had these giant open areas and you would have three classes in the same general area, no walls, and you'd have your English and history periods smashed together. So sometimes you could do a, a giant group two period thing, or you could just have your separate classes, you know, just depended on what, what it was that week. And so all of the books were, you know, tied to whatever we were doing in history. Oh, yeah. Red Badge of Courage. Presently, men were running hither and thither in all ways. The artillery booming forward, rearward, and on the flanks made jumble of ideas of direction. I'm just looking for hither and thither. (laughs) (laughs) Number two on Google is Sparknotes for Red Badge of Courage right after Wikipedia. So high, a high score of people who just want to know what the hell was in that book they don't want to read. 
I think that's telling. Uh, maybe we could go a little bit positive. David, do you have something positive to say about assigned reading? Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll do two at once. Okay. Because there, there are only two books. There are no rules in, here. Go ahead. And I don't know. <laughs> let's let's just say, you know, because our high school was a 7 through 12 one. So in six years, there were two books that I liked right off the bat and, and surprised me. One was To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. The other was The Great Gatsby. And this is uh, this is a book that that my wife and I have. You know, she hates it. She hates everything about it. She hates the. Okay, language. give your she wife a fist people. bump for me this time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll and I'll say I don't like the story, but I but I like his writing. I like yeah, his words. I like absolutely. some of his other stories better. Uh, I love the Pat Hobby stories about life in Hollywood. Um, I I went on a Fitzgerald Bender after reading The Great Gatsby. <laughs> that Fitzgerald Bender could also mean an actual <laughs> Bender, but that, that, that'd be a good name too. Ooh, Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald Bender. Bender. I, I love Gatsby. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Gatsby was on my list of of ones that I was gonna I was gonna bring up as a as as something that I liked. I I, yeah. I um and yes you there it, there is that aspect of the symbolism right? Oh, the eyes, <laughs> the, the eyes, eyes of T.J. Eckleberry. You know, but. But it, it's a, it, he's his style is great. I really appreciated the prose style of yeah. uh, Fitzgerald and, and Gatsby, and it was one of those moments of like I'm actually enjoying reading the uh, assigned reading. What is happening? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely correct. And this the story. I don't I don't know how much I like it, but I I just remember just reading. I didn't I didn't have to read that in in school. I read it later, but just the words the and the way he's putting these together. And I I felt like I felt the need just now to like do a Google search and look at the 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 you, you talk about great first pages. Gatsby has probably the greatest last page ever. I'll, I really feel the need yeah, to read the it. three last three paragraphs, not even the last four, last three. And as I sat there brooding on the old unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. He had come a long way to this blue lawn, and this dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city, where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year after year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning... So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. And I can't think of many last pages. I just reread as oh, I reread the Great Gatsby maybe once or twice a year because it's one of those. There are maybe a, a dozen books that are just always on my iPad because I'll, I'll have books I'm new books I'm reading, but I'll always maybe want to dip into an old one. But I can't think of another one where I just want to read that last couple pages. Over and over and over again. It's intimidating. If you're a writer, it is intimidating mm-hmm. to see how good those words are. Wow, I have I have Gatsby on my uh, my thumbs down list, <gasps> and and hearing you read those paragraphs <laughs> reminds me why. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> just it is just not a style. I mean, it's just like you know, some people like to talk just to hear the sound of their own voice. I feel like he was writing just to hear the sound of his own words. That is exactly just... what my wife said this morning. Ah. <laughs> She's like, oh, tell them I hated Gatsby. Okay. 
But how, but how many times have I have I read a science fiction book where, wow, my God, that story is so intricate and the science is so clever, but oh my God, put five words together that make any sort of music, please, just once in this entire book, and then the captain put paint on the ship, but the paint <laughs> was a different paint. It's like, oh, for God's sake! Actually, that's how I felt about Dune. I loved the story, but I couldn't get past the prose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can't. I can't do Dune. So I, I, I so I like the pro style of of Gatsby. I totally, I totally get where you're coming from, but I, Erica, but I, I do like <laughs> it. Uh, one of the things that I think struck me, um, at reading Gatsby as a signed reading was the idea. It, it, I don't know if it was the first book, but it solidified in me this: uh, the fact that the narrator is not Gatsby, and that we're observing Gatsby. And his and his story that really struck me as about understanding about perspective and seeing the the you know the I guess you could say most important character in the book is is seen from someone else's perspective. I just I remember that really struck me at the time. Like oh you could do that. You're like that's a storytelling yeah. <laughs> technique. It's just like <laughs> they, they allow you to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it's called the Great Gatsby, but great but the Great Gatsby himself is not the narrator. There's a different guy who's the narrator who's kind of like on the outside observing what's happening on the. Whoa. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe maybe my biggest problem with it was just the fact that there were no wizards or dragons or spaceships or ray guns. So I'll, I'll, I'll cop to that. That's, that is true. The eyes, though, the eyes. It was almost called Tremelchio in West Egg, which almost sounds like science fiction. Yeah, that, that's, that, <laughs> that wouldn't is, have worked. no, that's Ow. so bad. No. Yeah. No. That cover could work for a bunch of science fiction stories, though. That's true. Oh, That's a, that a, a, one of a handful of truly iconic book covers where you kind of can't publish this book without that cover. So, yeah. David, did you throw you threw in To Kill a Mockingbird there? I too, did throw in which To Kill I, a Mockingbird, which, which is I also really liked. I, you know, I didn't want to read it. It was not something that was remotely interesting. Very to me. few spaceships in that, and you know, <laughs> but I, True. but I started, I started skimming it because it's like, all right, I need to be able to talk about it in class, and then I kept reading because the writing was so good. And, you know, maybe it could have been shorter. I often feel that. But, ah, man, it was just, I couldn't put it down once I started actually reading it. And I went back and read the parts that I had skimmed because I was like, all right, I, I missed stuff. So maybe I didn't read it in the right order, but. Hmm. <laughs> so where does, where do uh, Gatsby and, and To Kill a Mockingbird show up on our or what is what's what's that website again? I've forgotten the name of the weird one already. Schmoop, Schmoop, Schmoop Watch. So we'll call this this segment Erica. Now this segment is called Schmoop Watch. Uh, let's go to the tote board. The Schmoop Watch for for Great Gatsby. Uh, Great Gatsby number three on Spark Notes. Number three is Spark Notes on the on the search for the Great Gatsby. Schmoop way down the list. Sorry, Schmoop. No luck for you. Uh, I think that speaks well of... <laughs> no no schmoop for you. No schmoop for you. No. Uh, and To Kill a Mockingbird, let's see where it ranks. To Kill a Mockingbird, number two. Number two is Spark Notes. So a little, a little harder to get through, I guess, than Gatsby. That's it. It it's, is longer. It's longer. It's totally scientific, this, this, what we're doing here. Totally scientific. <laughs> Andy, do you have a, a thing you would like to speak positively of that was a scientific? Yeah. I had two picked out. Uh, for all of these, I really assiduously tried not to do a web search for what kind of books tend to be assigned in English class so I could remember stuff. Uh, and I, I decided to keep quiet when Erica was picking Great Expectations because Great Expectations is on my positive list. 
Uh, I have so many, <laughs> so many positive memories of this book. And one of the reasons why I liked it so much was the way that it had been written, that this is designed to be episodic to try to get you to buy the next installment of this, which kind of prevents an author from getting into the, oh, wait a minute, I need to go back into chapter one and describe the rope again. And because I don't, I don't think they'll get that when I, when I say the word rope, I actually mean dreams. It's, 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 but more than, but, but more than that, let, let, let me tell you something about really great writing. Every time I'm like uh, at a friend's house or I'm, I'm at a hotel, uh, better yet, I'm at a hotel and the, the soap that they give you is like heavily perfumed. Every single time I'm washing my hands and this perfume from the soap hits my face, I always think of that scene from Great Expectations where Mr. Jaggers, the lawyer, washing his hands every time he he sees a client, specifically with perfumed soap, because it is such an evocative way that he described this. Uh, the scenes in, in Miss Havisham's house with the moldering wedding cake on the table still set for her wedding party, I just have such a crystal clear image of what that place looked like. And I'd have to, it's actually been a, a number of years since the last time I read it. I, I I did read it once or twice since tenth uh, grade or ninth grade, wherever, I, whenever I was supposed to read it. But there, it. I just remember all of these evocative scenes that just got me so engrossed in the story that it got me to the next one and the next one. Uh, that I just remember it being a really pleasant experience for a long. It was a long book for for high school, but I just remember just being a, a, a book that I quickly found myself reading just for pleasure, just on that stack of books on my nightstand. Yeah. yeah, see, I I couldn't get through Dickens. I I kept trying and trying because I, I I was interested in a girl who loved Charles Dickens, and <laughs> you know, and and especially Christmas Carol. I hated Christmas Carol. Oh and, God, we we're so up. We were so on opposite fences yeah. with that. Well, now wait, talk. now wait, wait, wait. I hated it at the time. It wasn't until Patrick Stewart's One Man Christmas Carol that suddenly it came alive for me. And I, and, and I really enjoy it because he does it straight from the text. There's, it's yeah. not an adaptation. It's not, well, you know, actually, uh, actually it is. He, he did well, have to trim. I think yes, he did have to yes, trim it down. It's trimmed, but it's, but he's not changing the words or the dialogue or any of that. All of the words are Dickens's words. And, uh, it, it was just lovely. And I went back and read it with his voice in my head and and it was lovely. And then I went back and said, "All right, well, maybe I'll try some of the others." And I still can't get through them. But sure. right, hey, we don't have to. Agree. We're not. We're not uh, seeking an accord here. We, we everybody has their own views. I think it's interesting when somebody likes something that uh, somebody else uh, doesn't like, because then we know why it was assigned. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, unlike some of these, where we are baffled. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Erica, do you have a, a thing you wanted to uh, say nice things about? Yes, I have. I have so many nice things to say about a book that was it was assigned to us in seventh grade. And everybody else hated this book with a passion, except for me and my friend, Mike, uh, two people who had been reading geeky stuff for many years already. And that is Ursula K. Le Guin's A Wizard of Earthsea. Yes. I had I'd never heard of it before, but when I came home with it, my parents were like, oh, my God, you're reading Ursula K. Le Guin. You have the best teacher ever. Um, and I was like, OK, well, this gives me some hope. So I cracked it open and it was just this amazing story of a boy wizard going away to wizard school and, and getting into a, a duel with a, f- 
fellow wizard where he accidentally sort of cracks open the fabric of reality and lets a shadow out and then has to deal with the, the fact of this shadow being in the world for the rest of his life until he can figure out how to how to handle that. And it was just so many things that were up my alley, but written in, I mean, it was it was a book that was, I don't know if it was exactly aimed at at kids, but it was it was very simple, but it wasn't written like a kid's book that was written at the time that I was reading it because this thing was was from 1968. So so much, much older, but it was it was it was like written as a kid's book that didn't talk down to us. And I think that was the problem that a lot of the other kids in my school had because some of them were the brightest (laughs) bulbs and they struggled. Um, But man, I just got totally wrapped up in it. I immediately went out and made my parents get me the rest of the books in the series. And I have read them multiple times since then. So I say a huge thanks to my seventh grade English teacher, whose name I've forgotten, but thanks anyway, lady. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Schmoop check, by the way. Schmoop wins on this one fourth is a schmoop link to Wizard of the Earth. So. <laughs> yeah, Hope I'm pronouncing I, I, that right. Is it <laughs> shmoop? It's probably shmoop. Anyway. What are, what are the other ones above, above shmoop, though? Uh, Amazon I mean, is it all... and, okay, and Wikipedia. Yeah, I I always loved her work. I when, Every year we got to pick one book and just, you know, read whatever we wanted and report on it. And, you know, the teachers would just sort of read it and go, eh, he read the book, eh. And um, one year I picked her book, Always Coming Home, which, if you don't know it, it's wonderful. It's it's like, it's not exactly a novel. It's it's like part novel, part anthropological study of this culture that, and I, and I have to get the quote right, might be going to have lived a long, long time from now in Northern <laughs> California. And it's lovely because it's 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 a great act of world yeah world building, where it you know she's she's presenting the culture and the science and and you know how they evolved and how their their society and everything oh it was lovely and and afterwards the teacher came back to me like three months later and said you know I picked that book up because it sounded really interesting that's really good. Like, uh, I went on. Cool. A, I, I'd never read that one, but but after reading those books, I went on just a tear reading all of her books that I could get my hands on. Luckily, there were quite a few in my parents' basement already, so that oh. made it easy. <laughs> and then I actually got to meet her. She came and did a reading at a little cafe bar that uh, a friend of my parents owned in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, of all places. And and she was just <laughs> delightful and lovely. And she signed her books, and it was it was a very exciting time for me as a, a youngster. Very nice. I I haven't read Earthsea. Left Hand of Darkness was my Le Guin yeah. that I read, which I don't think was assigned. I don't think so, but it's possible it was. I don't think I don't think so though. They're they're doing an adaptation of that on BBC Radio right now. Uh, uh, I'm yeah. going to throw out. Uh, also, this is and you knew this was going to happen. These are the things that are like just close enough to the science fiction genre that you latch onto it and you say, mm-hmm. "Yes, mm-hmm. I like that. Yes, <laughs> I will read that." Uh, Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, I uh, I really like Kurt Vonnegut. I've read a lot of Vonnegut, not all, but a lot. Um, I enjoy Slaughterhouse Five a great deal. Um, it may be my favorite of. Uh, we 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 read Cat's Cradle too, which I don't, which I find a little off putting. Yeah, but um, Slaughterhouse Five is is just so great, and and let's be honest here, every uh, movie or TV writer and probably a lot of novelists in the science fiction genre in the last fifty years have 
endlessly ripped off the conceit of Slaughterhouse Five <laughs> for their. I mean, it's it's like you either do your um, Christmas Carol episode. Right. Or you do your Unstuck in Time episode. Those are your choices. So Dickens or Vonnegut, you choose. Or or your Rashomon episode. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, you throw that in there, and I was going to say you could also it could also be your um uh uh the the Christmas genre starts with a Christmas Carol, but it goes off to It's a Wonderful Life, which is all, itself kind of a spin on the Christmas Carol. So anyway, um, Slaughterhouse Five. So great. Uh, it, it is about World War II. It is about the firebombing of Dresden. It is also about strange aliens from planet Tralfamador. And, and they view time differently. And Billy Pilgrim becomes unstuck in time. And the book is told in, a, in this uh, kaleidoscopic time sequence, which, you know, uh, I guess I'll, I'll also put uh, Quentin Tarantino down on the list. Of people who are like, <laughs> well, we can do the narrative anyway. We can't. We just mix up the times and people figure it out, maybe. Um, but it's, uh, but I really do. I, I you know, it is, uh, I can appreciate it as literature. I can appreciate it as uh, great style and, um, and also just as a really entertaining uh, book, uh, entertaining ride. So I, I like Vonnegut in general, but that one in particular. And there was that moment of like, oh, my God, there's like time travel and aliens and stuff in this. And, and they made us read it. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Wow. You're you're lucky. We didn't have to read any Vonnegut. Although I was thinking about this when David was mentioning reading a book um, for fun to do to also do a report on that he got to choose. And I had a friend who had read um, Breakfast of Champions in ninth grade to do a book report on. And he told me that it was by far the worst book he had ever read. And it was just <laughs> terrible. And so, of course, I was like, it can't be that bad. I have to read this and see if it's terrible. And I adored it. It was the first bonnet that I had ever come across. And then I, of course, went through and, and read, I think, most of the rest of his works at that time. <laughs> and I think I came to Slaughterhouse-Five a little bit late, so I was kind of at the end of my intense wow. love affair with his writing, but it was it was good. I think The Sirens of Titan was my favorite of all of them. Hmm. Yeah, we had we we had uh Slaughterhouse-Five. Like you could you could go through the whole English areas and and open up the cabinets and see stacks of books. And they had, you know, 1984 and Slaughterhouse-Five and Fahrenheit 451. And they never assigned any of them in the six years I was there. And, <laughs> and it drove me nuts because I was like, these are good. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and I quite liked Cat's Cradle. I'm going to put in a, a thumbs up for All that right. one. My family actually listened to the audiobook version of that on the way to uh, Florida for a Christmas vacation. Well, that's that's oh the my. kind of nerdy family I got. <laughs> hey, you know what you didn't have in your literature class? Something brought to you by Squarespace, but the incomparable is brought to you by Squarespace. You know, building websites can be really hard, but Squarespace can let you make websites simply. They're powerful. They're beautiful. They have 24-7 tech support via live chat and email. It only costs $8 a month, and if you buy Squarespace for the entire year, you will get a free domain along with your website. All the Squarespace sites come with responsive design. That's a web design term. What it means is your website will scale to look great on any device. It'll look great on a phone. It will change and transmogrify to look great on a tablet. And if you put it on a laptop, it'll look great on that. And you put it on a giant computer monitor 
It'll look great on that too. It just responds to the size of the device and has a beautiful design. They provide the templates for you so you don't have to be a designer to make a beautiful site using Squarespace. And e-commerce. Every Squarespace site comes with a free online store. If you want to sell stuff online, you can get your Squarespace site up and running and sell stuff very quickly using the built-in e-commerce engine. And Squarespace has introduced a new feature called Cover Pages. If you've ever wanted to have a place you could point to and just say, go there to see what we're up to. Something simple. It doesn't need to be a huge, complicated site. It can be a single page. That's what Cover Pages are for. If you've got a new uh, book or album or you want to announce an event that you're doing, the Cover Page on Squarespace can do the trick. It's beautiful. It'll make an impact. And it's a very simple place you can send people who need to find out more information about whatever it is you're doing. So here's what you need to do with Squarespace. Start a trial. You don't need to put down a credit card to do a free trial with Squarespace. You just go and sign up, type in some information, and boom, you are on Squarespace setting up a site. You can build it immediately. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace after your trial is over or really after you start using it and realize, oh, I really want to do this. This is great. Um, Here's what you do. Use offer code incomparable. Remember the name of the podcast that you are listening to now. Use that as the offer code incomparable and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. And of course, show your support for the incomparable. Thank you so much to Squarespace for sponsoring the incomparable. Squarespace, Build it beautiful. I think what we should do now is we're going to let everybody put their last cards on the table. So the the, the this draft that is not a draft that has gone on for three <laughs> rounds. Let's love it or hate it. I I just want to go to you in turn. And if you've got other things, I've got like four or five things laying here that I didn't get a chance to mention. Let's get them out before we before we uh, say goodbye. So David, what what do you have left? Well, I've got uh, the the complete works of Arthur Miller. Um, let, let, you got to specify love it or hate it. Yeah, hate it. Hate <laughs> yeah, it. Right. Loathe it. And uh, the Crucible. We, not. I'm not a big fan of the Crucible. Not a fan of the Crucible. That was that was the worst one. Oh, Slaughterhouse Five. By the way, in the Schmoop, Schmoop Watch, oh, right. Slaughterhouse Five. Uh, Spark Notes comes up fourth in the search for Slaughterhouse Five. So that's pretty good. Not bad. Good job. Nice. Good job. Good Vonnegut. job, Kurt Nice. Did I grow up in a very poor like part of town that I was buying Monarch notes and not Spark notes or Cliff notes? Was that like the the Kmart version of the of the notes? I've I've never no, heard I've, of Monarch notes. They, they, I I think they vanished. I don't know what happened to them. I miss them. They're, they're, yeah, we got those. Yeah, they're still around. Yeah, but yeah, pretty much all the rest of mine are are hate them. Um, so you know, the Crucible, um, uh, the Human Comedy by William Saroyan. I, I I really reacted badly to the the heartwarming slices of Americana books. Um, How'd you feel about Our Town? <laughs> I'm okay with it after we produced it. I hated reading it. We we mm. did produce it out here at the college a couple of years ago. It, it was slightly differently, and it was really nice. Um, it's long. It could be shorter. Again. Um, <laughs> But 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 I like it because it's it's dark. We found the the sort of dark. It's not it's not sweet and heartwarming the same way Soroyan is. Soroyan is just goop. Uh, oh God. <laughs> um, and uh, they made us read Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, which I hated so much. I titled because we had to write an essay after each one. My my essay was titled "Ohm is where Sid's heart is," and it was the <laughs> it was the only essay I did not get a perfect score on. <laughs> Pretty much because of the title. Um, 
That's that sounds like what you'd hear at the end of a Bullwinkle episode. Tune in next week for Holmes Mercenaires. This is this is the guy who wrote all those all those terrible puns and all the incomparable radio theater scripts. It's I know it was there so early for you, David. You were so so messed up, so young. Yeah, it was the Doll Museum. It was the Doll Museum. Yeah. So so there's a good chance you will pass this on to your children genetically. Oh, it's too late for that. Yeah, it's they're 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 well on their way. Um, and then, and I guess the, the one book, you know, it's, it's weird because I don't really go for anything she stands for, but I did enjoy reading the fountainhead. It's, it's florid. It's soap operatic. She was brilliant in that she came up with a philosophy where no one was allowed to edit her. So, you know, cause that would be running counter to what the creator was doing and the creator is right. Um, but for all that, it's, you know, it's a good pot boiler if you just sort of ignore the philosophy and then you go, wow, that wasn't so bad. I'll read Atlas shrugged. Don't read Atlas shrugged. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Don't do it. Um, and then, and then the, the very last one um, uh, in AP English. Now that, that was, that was a nice one. Cause we did, we got a list of books and you got to pick any, any book you wanted to read in any order. And you only had to read five of them. And it was, you know, it's all right. Yeah. And you did a lot of one-on-one discussion with the teacher. And so great. And, and I, I finally picked Graham Green. I had never read any Graham Green, and you had a choice. You could read The Third Man, which in retrospect I should have read, uh-huh. or you could read The Power and the Glory. And I read The Power and the Glory, which is about uh, when the Catholic Church was outlawed in uh, Mexico, it was Mexico or Spain, and, and it's the last priest in the country on the run, and people are hunting him to kill him. And it is just, I mean, it's, I will say it's a beautifully written portrait of despair, but it, I couldn't get through it because it was changing me. I was getting so into it. It was so beautifully written that, and, and my mother finally said, you have to stop reading that. You have to put <laughs> it down. And I put it, I've never read the last, I don't know, 50, 60 pages of it. And I put it down and life was sunny again. <laughs> so that's, that's my list. Oh, that's your list. Okay. Fair enough. Andy, um, the only other one that was on my list, I, I'm I'm amazed that if I if when I sat down to think of not just the, all the books that I was forced to read that I really liked and I really didn't like, but how about all of them? It was a short list of ones I could actually remember. It wasn't uh, if uh, I was you would come up with well, how about uh, uh, the Tempest? Okay, well, yeah, I did. I think I have to I had to read the Tempest too. But man, there's so few that were, were really standouts. But the other one that I that was on my list as uh, a positive uh, was the call of the wild for a couple of major reasons. I thought that number one, it was a great story. It was, it, there was nothing written about this that was designed as great literature. It was just designed to be a pot boiling thriller that because Jack London was Jack London, he could only write from his own experience and his own mindset about the world. And it just simply came out as this really interesting story about in which a dog is the lead character. And I liked it so it stands out not only because I liked that book, but because I liked it so much that I had to read White Fang. Because that was like the, that was like the perfect sequel. Like if you're doing a movie sequel, saying, "Well, let's see, okay, Jack, congratulations, our biggest summer, biggest May opening in in, in Hollywood history, two hundred and eighty million dollars on a three day weekend." Now, how are you going to follow it up? And he's desperate. Uh, uh, well, the uh, Call of the Wild was about a domestic dog that becomes wild. Uh, how about a wild dog that becomes domestic? 
great, go. How fast can you write it for us? We need to start filming in six weeks. And and even that, it's an obvious uh, turn, but it was a really, really good story. And then I wound up, then I had to read The Sea Wolf, and I wound up reading about as much Jack London as I can get my hands on. Just amazing adventure stories that... Uh, and this is the attitude of a little kid. Like, I can't believe that, like, people in the 1910s, 1920s actually were, like, knew how to write this, like, re- actually uh-huh. write fun books. They they weren't all writing, like, these incredibly leaden, like, little dramatic plays and passion plays. It was, like, it was actually written like a, like an Indiana Jones movie almost. And so <laughs> I, it's, it's, I, I, and it's, it's another one of those series of books where I can just remember scenes just vividly playing out in my head as I was watching. As I was reading this, I, listen to me. I almost said watching this book because he was just painting such deep, deep pictures uh, of worlds that I'd never even seen on television, let alone you know seen in a book. So I, I just you, I think that your best experiences with books is when you remember the emotional uh, uh, ride that you went through as you were re- reading it or, or, or experiencing it. And Jack London it really does deliver that for me. Yeah. Good, great style from Jack London. It's funny you say that. The uh, it's amazing that something this old could be this fun. Um, yeah. I think there's a tendency among people, including parents and teachers, to think of the classics and have the classics mean something that does not necessarily mean that they're fun. And I think that's I think that's fundamentally wrong. I think they're imp- are- they're important. They're good. They're they're full of nutrients and minerals and vitamins, and that's <laughs> why we're going to teach them in class. And we 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 forget that these were pop. This was popular fiction at the time. Well, and yeah. and that and that uh, some of the stuff that gets considered classic is it's like if it's fun, it can't be classic, and if it's classic, then yeah, it can't be fun. Exactly. And I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, being a children's librarian, there are there is a certain kind of parent who comes into the children's room and says, "I don't want my kids." <laughs> reading any of this modern popular fun stuff only the classics <laughs> and when when they ask for the classics like there are lots of really fun great classic things like older things but they don't mean that they mean i want to give my kids really dry terrible stuff that is going to like you know soothe their Make brains not while, read. <laughs> while they're listening to the uh, classical music because i'm going to turn them into some sort of genius um and it's and and it's misguided but i think that happens with assigned reading in general is is if it's if it's too much fun then we're not going to bother so when you hit on something that that works with you and is and yet is still old and considered a classic you have that moment of like oh <laughs> i didn't know they i didn't know they could do fun things uh, back then, and the answer is yeah, they can. They just don't show you any of the fun things because they want <laughs> to be very serious and show you the serious things. And sometimes I think it's a pose, and that the fun things are classics too. Um, and and I think people just are reluctant to to assign fun. I yeah, I mean, no, yeah. Let's let's not read Jules Verne here. Read Sister Carrie by Theodore Dreiser. Yeah, that's good. That's that's intelligent. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andy, do you have any more that you're that? that you're uh holding on to uh the only the only half one was um uh text for nothing uh, uh because uh, i think i think we were, were we had to read waiting for uh, waiting for godot and i was indifferent towards it and for some reason there was some sort of a book that it was in and it mentioned this 
texts for nothing that uh, Beckett had also written, and I wasn't assigned to read it, so I, I don't want to. I don't want to include it, but I do want to mention that it was just the most fun. It, it, it was one of the earliest experiences of seeing something that had actually been marked as great literature that was also great fun to read because it's basically he re, he wrote like one run on sentence that goes on for pages and pages and pages, and it makes no sense until I, I remember being there in my bedroom, just like saying try as I would sometimes do if I couldn't really scan a sentence like reading it aloud and of course it was designed to be performed that way and suddenly you realize that you're in the mindset of this person whose mind is completely racing and cannot focus on one thing and he doesn't know what he's talking about until he actually works it out for himself so that that would sort of be a half a half of uh, of a qualification for this but text for nothing by samuel beckett was another thing i remember reading associated with school and really enjoying yeah yeah, that's that's a lovely piece. Suddenly, no, no, all at once, I couldn't, I couldn't anymore. I, uh, I, uh. <laughs> there, 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 there was there was a there was a time when there was a time where I was actually kind of committed. I want to see how much of this I can memorize because I just oh, like the wow. I just like the idea of like pacing in my room. Suddenly, no, slowly, not at once. I couldn't. I just couldn't anymore. And then sentence after sentence after sentence. And then of course I started having other things to do with my time than memorize Beckett, but. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, I waiting for Godot drove me nuts, and it wasn't until I read uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which is basically waiting for Godot in the middle of Hamlet. Yes, <laughs> and and then you know I was like, well, all right, I prefer Rosencrantz, but I so love the idea of Rosencrantz Rosen, Rosen and Guildenstern are dead. It hooked me just. Oh, you oh, know how like yeah. there's these two guys who had like one line. How about an entire play based on them? And I think it was because I was also reading comic books at the time and saying, "Hey, what's the story about these two guys?" Great, let's do a story about these two guys. Yeah, <laughs> Erica, what do you have left? I actually have quite a few because I sort of cheated. Um, right. <laughs> when I was first trying to think of, about this, I, I couldn't remember a whole lot. So I went on Facebook and, you know, just put out the call to anybody who went to my high school or elementary school to, <laughs> to give me some help. And actually, I have to say most of the stuff they suggested were things that I hadn't read because I had different teachers. But um, I, I'll start with a positive here. So um, actually in college, this is when I did remember myself, we read um, for comparative literature, I read 100 Years of Solitude, which I mm. loved. I had never gotten so much out of a book before. I think that was my first experience, just sort of interacting with a text um, on, on that sort of cerebral level, because before I just wanted to, you know, read about my spaceships and stuff. So I was just angry. Um, so this one, I, that one I enjoyed. Um, another one uh, that I liked quite a bit was Mythology by Edith Hamilton, which was a, a very popular book about mythology. It wasn't you know, fictional, except that, you know, myths are fictional. But I, I had always been interested in Greek myths and stuff. So so I quite liked that one. I also have The Catcher in the Rye on my, my plus list. Not a, not like a huge thumbs up, but but I quite enjoyed it. I really like and, Catcher, Catcher in the Rye. Um, and somebody was saying in the chat room, you got to admit, it's really pandering to uh, high school <laughs> students. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. But that is one of those things where stylistically, I was like, Oh yeah, this is like I, I actually am enjoying reading this story. What what's happening? Same here. Something assigned. I, it very much it was uh it was twelfth grade my senior year when we got assigned that one and it yeah. was sort of, you know, playing to my disaffected youth. We, of, well, like, we yep. read a bunch of his short stories then too, so a bunch of the, the glass family stuff. And I, I like that stuff too. It's um the yeah, no, I, yeah. I'm okay with, I, I like that much better than Rye. I I reacted badly to that one. It's not a Reuben if it doesn't come on Rye, David. That's right. 
<laughs> I like a good marble. Sand- sandwich is our topic tonight. Uh, what else? Uh, what else, Erica? Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to put in my word for Catcher in the Rye there. No, that's quite right. My my very, very favorite. I, I didn't put down all of the Shakespeare we read because we read a ton of Shakespeare and I genuinely liked it all. But the one that I adored the most was in 11th grade. We read Hamlet and my teacher really, really loved Hamlet. And just he managed to convey that love to me. And we watched, I think, three wow. different versions of it, bits and pieces. Oh. So we get to, I get to see Kevin Klein as Hamlet, awesome. which was really cool. Nice. Um, we watched some of the Mel Gibson version, which I still hate. <laughs> um, yeah. And but my favorite, which is still to this day my favorite, was the BBC ad, uh, the BBC version starring Derek Jacobi mm, as Hamlet. Yeah. Oh, that's he is, wonderful! Yeah. yeah, to this day my favorite. I mean, I remember in college at one point I took it out from the library, and it's like it's like five hours long. And my roommate was like, "Are you insane?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, I am." <laughs> one one of the things I always loved about the the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet is that he cast Derek Jacobi as Claudius. Yes, and and, and when you watch the movie. They look so similar. And when they finally mm-hmm. show you a statue of Hamlet's father, he looks nothing like Kenneth Branagh. And it's it's just this very subtle thread of maybe mm. Gertrude and Claudius were cheating the whole time, <laughs> which is a really neat spin to throw on that story. Oh. You know, I when that movie came out, I was super excited because I already had an audio version of Hamlet with Kenneth Branagh as Hamlet yes! and Derek Jacobi as Claudius. And I yes! thought his Claudius was better in the audio version than it was in the film. So I was a little disappointed by the, that film. <laughs> so, Erica, what, do you, what are your feelings about the uh, David Tennant, Patrick Stewart? BBC. You know what? I still have not. I still have not seen it. I know it's. There's a part of me that just. I'm. I'm scared because I love him so much, and I love Hamlet so much. But it's good, and there's security cameras, which is neat. There's nothing to be scared of. Yeah. No. It's good. It's good. I'll put. Uh, um, Well, you should watch that sometime. One of my friends was on a sabbatical in the UK actually when that when that was going, and he got to go see it live. And I think there's also still a little bit of me that's bitter that I didn't get to go uh, and see it live. A, so. a husband of a friend did the light log bad did the lighting for it, so mm-hmm. she got to meet David Tennant. <laughs> since since you mentioned uh, Hamlet, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out there. Um, do you you have more? I'm assuming. I do. So I I do. Bookmark- I, that was all the positive stuff. Okay, I want to bookmark this just for just for a second before we come sure. back to that. I want to I want to say Shakespeare is interesting. I I, I thought about talking about Shakespeare at, at various points here. What I would say is I think it's really hard to teach Shakespeare because if you assign it as reading, I think it doesn't work. I think you mm-hmm. need to say yep. it out loud. You need to yep. watch stagings yep. or movies. And you need to read it out loud. And my all of my positive Shakespeare experiences in high school came from reading it out loud. And all of my negative Shakespeare experiences came from reading it silently in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'd say I put Shakespeare in the good-bad category. It's like it's really great, mm-hmm. but you got to read it out loud because it does not – you know – you can read after you've experienced it that way. You can read it on the page, and you're reenacting it, and you can hear it. But just starting with the reading, it doesn't work. Okay, Erica, back. Th- 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 we're going negative now. Lay, lay them out there. Lay, lay them on me. I've got. I did have three that I remembered that just sort of fell firmly into the meh camp. Like I couldn't put them in positive. <laughs> didn't want to put them in negative. And those three are the Old Man in the Sea, of Mice and Men, oh. and Huckleberry Finn. Yes. I didn't have p- particularly strong feelings about any of them, but. I, I got through them without too much trouble. Uh-huh. So I, it, for me, I would I would tip of mice and men like like almost 
to liking, but it would be in the no category mm-hmm. for me because I oh oh why did, why is everything so depressing? Why why can't they re- give us some joyful books sometimes? Yeah, no doubt. And then just to to finish off with the, the true negative, the uh, the last couple depressing ones I have. Uh, I despised <laughs> the Scarlet Letter. Um, I wasn't yes! exactly yes. You know, as a teenager. I wasn't quite waving my feminist flag as high as I do these days. But it still just it it made me so uncomfortable reading that. It's and not good. It, it's early Amer- no. again. That's some of that early American yeah. literature. It's yep. not. It's not yeah. good. It is Hated painful. It. I think it is elevated because it is early American literature, and that uh, they they don't have other examples from the period, so they elevate it, and it's not actually very good. Yeah. Yeah. 10th grade was American literature and I yep. hated that. Yeah. Year. I loved my teacher. It. You got a, you I had a good teacher. American literature. What are you going to do? It's like, well, yep. Scarlet Letter, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I hated the Scarlet Letter. The only reason I ever revisited it was when I thought, you know, oh, I'll, I'll do a thesis one of these days. And my thesis would have been, and I've never written it, and you can, someone can go take it and run with it. Uh, the Scarlet Letter. And then John Updike wrote three books that not just parallel the characters, the three characters in The Scarlet Letter, but both Hawthorne and Updike parallel uh, Purgatory, Paradise, and the Inferno in Dante's Divine Comedy. And and this would be a great thesis, and I'd much rather write radio plays, because they're fun. (laughs) The Scarlet Letter... Spark notes at number two, by the way. Spark notes at number two. (laughs) Can't say I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, and actually, Andy, talking about... um, Jack London reminded me of To Build a Fire, that story, which I, I did not like that at all. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of spit, a lot of frozen spit in that <laughs> yeah. story. That's really the only thing I remember. It was going hither and thither. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to bookend things with a, yet another book from fifth grade. That's how I would like to, uh, to end, as I started, with another fifth grade book <laughs> about a dog who dies, and that was Sounder. I don't know if anybody else had to read Sounder. Um, it was it, another sort of story about a boy who was not in great circumstances. His father had been arrested or something, and the dog loses an ear, and then but he comes back, and he's not actually dead, and then the dog dad gets out of jail. And, and anyway, at the end of it, the dad and the dog both die, and I was just, nice. boo. <sighs> Like old Yeller. Yes. I wanted to, um, uh, you mentioned of Mice and Men. Steinbeck, I, I think of Mice and Men as fine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's a lovely book until you get to the part that explains the Looney Tunes running joke about, tell me about the rabbits, George. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you got to have that, right? Yeah. It's no, still, know, that part is still sort of lovely in its own way, I think. Yes. It's just yes. sadly lovely. Yeah. Grapes of Wrath, I don't like. That's you know. You didn't have to read that also, one. Thank yes. goodness. That's that's me. Um, not a big fan of that one. Um, Cannery Row. And I like Cannery Hunk- Row. You mentioned Huckleberry Finn. Uh, Mark Twain. I, it, although uh, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, maybe appreciate him more the stuff I've read as an adult than the stuff that was assigned. But yeah, because uh, I think maybe I needed to be older to appreciate Mark Twain a little bit more. But I uh, I kind of I, I enjoy Mark Mark Twain. I think I think he does. Uh, he's got some good stuff. It was Innocence Abroad, which which is not fiction. It's a travelogue. That's yep. the one that, that hooked me in. That and roughing it. Mm-hmm. And then I went back and went, okay, these this is fun. And uh with all of those choices out of the way, my my list has been reduced to only two. <laughs> which I'll mention now. So in eighth grade, uh for me, 
being born in 1970. Eighth grade was the year 1984. We mm-hmm. read 1984. 1984. By George Orwell. <laughs> I have re- and then I read it again in high school and I think maybe even read it again in college. And uh, you know what? It's, it is dark and depressing and all that, but it's good. It's really good. I, I oh, think yeah. Orwell is great. Um, I, I also enjoyed Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, but 1984, it, those were often paired together. 1984, that is, uh, that, that is solid. And I, I do get a kick out of the fact that we read it in 1984 because, you know, what are you going to do? My <laughs> teacher was like, I, can't, I have to do this. This has to happen now, even though we were eighth graders and probably a little bit too young for it. And then the other one I wanted to mention, talk about things that, that uh, kind of – I'm shocked that I liked it so much, uh, but I really did, is Candide oh, by, yeah. by Voltaire. Um, uh, best of all possible world. It is weird. It is weird. (laughs) It is a supremely (laughs) weird book, but you know what? It's, it's extremely enjoyable. I I liked it a whole lot. So I'm going to throw that in there. Since I threw it, Madame Bovary under the bus. Good. You deserved it. Emma (laughs) Bovary. Stay under that bus. Back the bus up a couple of times. I've never read any of those, but, but Candide, um, Candide's, uh, uh, a lot of fun actually and yeah. and and it and, and is it is bizarre and i think i think i appreciated that when i read it in in high school too is like what is the, what is happening <laughs> this is a crazy book but it's uh, it's sarcastic and and uh, satirical and weird and i love it i read that one for kicks because somewhere i can't i couldn't even tell you when it was in the 80s and live from lincoln center on pbs did uh, a telecast of the the Leonard Bernstein musical version of Candide with Andrea Martin from SCTV in, in one of the roles. And it was wonderful. It was lovely. It was very funny. And and the more I read about this show, it was a really weird show that you know, apparently Bernstein was obsessed with doing it and they kept revising it, revising it over decades and decades and decades. And it's still nobody is satisfied with how it turned out. And Sondheim worked on it for a while and Lillian Hellman, all these people. And it still doesn't quite work, but it's so much fun. Mm. And and because of that show, I, I said, I want to read the book. I just, I want to know what it was supposed to be and what did they leave out and what did they change and how did they turn it into a musical? Our actual French person in the chat room, by the way, who confirmed that Madame Bovary is bad, confirms that Candide is good. So even if you're French, <laughs> hey, and you're, you're two for two. French, good job, Jason. That's good. Hey, all credit to the translators. Where, where do we stand on the Little Prince? <laughs> See, I, I think I think that, I think that with this one Frenchman, we're doing the homeopathic version of fifty million Frenchmen can't be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So if we're re- reducing the rightness of Frenchman by amplifying it ten million times by reducing its potency. I'm really, I'm really looking more for the the the, the no no you you just don't understand that uh, Madame Bovary is a classic in French, but uh, it, it, we really can't translate. I, I was waiting for something like that, and instead it was like, nope, it's bad. <laughs> All right, <laughs> good to know, good to know. It's not just me, and it's not just the translation. It's just bad. I appreciate it. I haven't li- read the F. Waller now is a gas that I haven't read the Little Prince in French. Yeah, me reading it in French would be especially good since I do not understand a word of French. <laughs> Maybe I'd like it better if I read it in French because I also don't yeah. know French. Yeah. Well, for a podcast with a weird topic and some, we had some technical problems at some point. This, I think, this turned out quite uh, quite nicely, and we got a lot of our uh, uh, things that we hated off of our chest, and we mentioned a bunch of things that we liked. I think that's a good combination. I think there was some bonding over shared uh, mm-hmm. shared pain. Uh, we also got to tell some particularly horrific stories from time to time about things that, that happens too. It's podcasting is therapy, but um, I, I, it's been a fun uh, it's been a fun little adventure into the world of, of books that we were forced to read against our will. Uh, so I'd like to thank my guests for joining me on this little adventure 
David Lore, thank you for doing the reading. Oh, of course. I are, now are all these going to be on the test tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. okay. They will. <laughs> yep. uh, Erica Ensign, uh, your next assignment is to read the odd chapters. do i get extra credit if i read the even chapters as well um let's say yes i am an overachiever okay good good (laughs) and uh and eddie and otko uh your next assignment will be uh on the on the chalkboard uh that's okay but my mom promised to take me to blockbuster to rent the movie of whatever that's going to be we just just schmoop it (laughs) just schmoop it or or mr snell you could read the book yourself i I know that you're doing all these test questions based on the vhs yourself i i'm check and mate spark notes and schmoop are what i focus on i'm I'm telling you just free slogan just just schmoop it there it is i'm sure that's money on the table that's true too (laughs) and uh thank you everybody out there for listening to this edition of The Incomparable. We will see you next time. Don't forget to do the reading.